right, well, good morning, my friends. How's everybody doing today? Good. So good to see you guys. As Lana said, if you're a guest with us, so glad to have you in the house. You can tell that we are a passionate group of people that love Jesus. And despite this no signal sign, we have had signal with the Lord, connecting with the Lord this morning. And so if somebody can assist me with this, this would be fantastic. Uh, as Lana said, as the bumper just showed you, we are in a series entitled Judges. We're in part two of it today. How many of you were here last week? Just a very quick show of hands. Okay, good, good. Several of you were not able to make it last week. No worries. We'll catch you up just a little bit. Uh, but the book of Judges is really this narrative of an Old Testament history. And so it, it's from the Old Testament. And kind of uh, several books of the Bible have come to pass, and now you're in this book of Judges. And so what's happening in that moment is uh, let's, let's talk about where it occurred. This will help us and have a little bit of timeline as we get set up here today. And so the book of Judges, if you remember any of your Bible history, it's, it's actually occurring in this window of time where Joshua, you guys remember Joshua, so you had Moses. So Moses was coming along. He led the people. They were in slavery. God re used him to help to deliver the people out of Egypt. He led them across. You remember the great story of how the Red Sea was parted? You remember that? And then he led them on the other side. They saw the Red Sea part, saw it collapse on Pharaoh's chariots. And so Moses, his goal was to lead them into the promised land, but they were never able to get there under his leadership. Moses died. And then Joshua comes along. And you remember Joshua? He was the great leader who was known for his warrior style. He led them in all of these battles and all of these conquests throughout the land that God was sending them. And through Joshua, the Israelites were able to do some great things. And then Joshua dies. And that's actually where we're going to pick up today. But Joshua dies. And then we enter into this period of the judges. And so you had this somewhere around 330-year period where judges were in place before we came to the first king. So you had King Saul, you had King David who came along. And so in that period of time, you would have these judges, and that's who the book is named after, these heroes. And, and throughout Judges, there are 12 of them, these heroes, and their responsibility was to help to carry out the law. And at times, they would serve as the redeemers of Israelite, of God's people. Thank you. Can we give Crystal a hand? Thank you so much. And so in this period of time, in this 330-year span that happens right here, what was taking place is these guys were being used by God, and, 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 and he would come upon them, his anointing, and he would help uh, to uh, deliver them through these judges. And so for this 330 years or so, there was a more of a, uh, it, it was kind of a little bit of like this commonwealth. And if you think about how America was founded. We had 13 original colonies. And so in this period of time, they had 12 tribes. We're simply in review right now. They had 12 tribes throughout the nation of Israel. And they were a theocracy, meaning that there was no king. Uh, there was no government structure such as a president, what you and I might have today. They had no king. And, and the way that it was set up was a theocracy, meaning that God would be over them and that he had given instruction. And his expectation was that the people would come along and they would follow the instructions of the Lord. And so that's the way that this system works out. But the problem that happened inside of this, and the reason that we ended up with the king, with Saul and with David and the lineage that comes thereafter, the reason that this was happening is because Israel kept entering into this cycle. They kept entering into this pattern. And so what was happening during that time is this pattern would take place of disobedience 
and then disaster and then deliverance, where the people, they would know what God had told them to do. They understood the instruction, the expectations from God, but they decided somewhere along the way they're going to do what they wanted to do. And every time it ends up in this place of disaster. And then because of God's faithfulness, the cycle goes where the deliverance comes. And that's where the judges have a part inside of this. And so last week, what we did is we started with the end of the book. We went all the way to the end because I wanted you to see the, the, the culmination, the place where all of this led to. And we actually leaned into the last three chapters of the book in 19, 20, and 21. And if you remember, if you were here last week, I gave you a great big warning. Like this was one of those like parental advisory is required in this moment. In fact, it was so bad, it was so grotesque that even in portions of it, we simply couldn't read it in this sanctuary because of the age span of the audiences that are here in this room. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the plot from one of those movies of, of like, one of those horror films of like Saul, or, or, or maybe it was like a Deliverance or, or one of those kind of movies. And it is straight up grotesque. It is evil. It is horrific. And so last week we leaned into that. There was a parental advisory. And, and I just want to say to you, this week we, we've kind of toned it back a little bit, okay? And so if there's a younger audience in the room today, you will be okay, all right? And so uh, there, there's not quite as much drama in this first portion of it. And some of you are like, oh, man, I like the drama, right? If you missed last week, go read chapters 19 to 21. It will fill you in. Or if you missed it, maybe go online and watch the sermon from last week, okay? But this week, here's what we're going to do, okay? So let me, first, let me tell you where it ended, and you remember this. The final statement of the book, like there's no heroes, there's no resolve. It's not like everybody just comes to this place of like uh, all inspiration of the Lord. They come to this place, and here's what it said. The very last verse of the book says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there was no king. And so this led, this progression, this idea, it continued to compound throughout the book of Judges and led up to this horrific scene. But when we hit rewind and we go back to the beginning of the book, which is where we're going to be today, when we take it back to the beginning, there's a stark contrast to where the people of God are in that moment. In fact, the beginning of the book, it begins just after this powerful revival service. It begins like right after, right on the heels of this great, big, powerful church conference. And you know what I'm talking about. You, you know how these things went. You remember back in the day, like old school day, uh, you, they would set up these tents and stuff in the parking lot. Some of you have old enough to have been a part of this. What would they do? They would put like saw dust onto the ground. They would have tent meetings, tent revivals. And the, and the modern kind of version of that is we call them conferences or what have you. In fact, some of you were gone to a conference over the last few days, right? And so what happens at those conferences? They have these uh, people travel from all over the place, not just the country, sometimes even uh, worldwide. They come to this environment, and because they have these great speakers, these keynote speakers, these powerful men and women of God that are going to come and deliver this great sermon, this great message. And then they always have like these extremely profound times of worship where people are singing songs together, and then collectively they lift up the name of Jesus. And it seems like every one of them, they have like this anthem song, that thing that just kind of runs through it. And man, when they start singing it, it just feels like you're just ushered into the presence of God. Yeah. 
That's how I felt a few moments ago when we were singing that uh, reckless love song. That's how I felt in that moment. And that anthem song, man, it leads you right into that. And then these speakers, they're, they're capitalizing on that and they're sharing the gospel and they lead right up into this moment where it comes to response time. Where it's like, man, oh man, now they, they, they've kind of broken it all down. You see God for who he is. You've encountered the goodness of the Lord. And now you're all snotty nodes and crying. And you're reaching as a Kleenex fest. And you're reaching and trying to take care of your business. And, and because you've encountered Jesus, because you've been in his presence, all of the junk in your life, right, it just becomes self-evident. Whoa. I am a wretched and wicked person. Man, I guess. And what did that do? It leads us to do what the Israelites were doing. It, it leads us to make these great big promises, right? And I've been there. You've been there. You've had these moments. Maybe it was in church. You've encountered the Lord in different environments that you found yourself in. And you have these great big promises. And in that moment, because you're in the presence of Jesus, you begin to break off. You make these commitments. I'm going to break off all of these unhealthy relationships, that person that I've been pursuing, that person that I've been Facebooking in the middle of the night, even though I'm married, I got no business Facebooking them. You start to begin to make these statements. That person in your family that you're like, man, I'm finally going to forgive them. I'm finally going to let it go. I'm finally going to release them from this. I'm finally going to kick this habit. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to pop any more pills. I'm finally going to be done with this, right? I'm going to kick the habit. They were making these faith promises. Until it comes to that place, it's like because you're, again, in front of Jesus, it's like I will quit just about everything. I'll quit everything under the sun. And so Israel had been doing something like that at the beginning of the book of Judges. And I remember a place in my own life where I did something like this, where I just, I was at these church services and I had these really powerful encounters with Jesus. I was kind of new in my relationship with the God. And, and, and any of you know who, my, who know my story, I was a pretty broken individual. And so like I, I was at these encounters and I would make these big promises. And what did I do? As soon as I got home, man, I built a bonfire. And, and I don't know, if some of you are young in the room, you don't remember what these are. These are, are CDs. You remember CDs? It's bad that I have to explain. I feel bad for those of you who are like vinyl and eight track. Now I've got to explain CDs to you. I loved music and I had multiple of those albums, those books that you just stick all your CDs in, you know, eight per page. And then you've got like a bazillion pages. Man, I loved music. I loved old school classic rock and everything that was in there. And I had decided for me, right? I'm not putting my, I had decided for me, I was like, I just want Jesus and nothing but Jesus. And I built this huge bonfire. I took all of my music because I decided I guess I couldn't give it away to somebody else who wanted it. And I burned thousands of dollars worth of music. I'm not kidding. Bonfire in the backyard. And I'm telling you, I went through because this is where I was at in my life. I was going through my house. I was pulling out all the paraphernalia. I was like pulling up my, my special plants and I was uh, pitching them. Yeah, this is, this is kind of the it's kind of the background. And then because I've thrown it into a bonfire, right, it starts wafting through the neighborhood and all the neighbors are like, yeah, man. And that was just where I was at in that time. And I'd made all of these commitments and, and I was trying to quit just about everything in my life. I'm cutting off all of this stuff and all of these friends that were bad influences on me. Let me tell you how far it went, okay? So at the time, my, my mom was not living for Jesus. She is now, thank God. She's actually here on the front row with me regularly. And uh, so my mom was not living for Jesus at that time. And because I was making all of these changes, I was living at home at the time. She was like, have you joined the cult? 
<laughs> and she's, she's convinced in her mind that that's what I've done because I was just, my life was, looked so radically different. I had joined a cult. In fact, in fact she actually uh, renewed her commitment to the Lord because she came to that church and wanted to find out about the cult that I had joined. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank God for grace. And so the people of Israel, right, you, you know where the end of the book goes. But at the beginning of the book, this is where the people are. This is like they've come right out of this spiritual high. They've come right out of this church conference, this revival service. Joshua, okay, so Joshua has not died yet. He's 110 years old. He's getting ready to die. He's getting old in age, and he starts thinking about his people. And what he does is he actually calls for all of the people of the land. And, and, and so they have the 12 tribes, and they're in this different geographical area. And he begins calling for all of the people all over the land, and he assembles this conference, this revival service, if you will. And he brings them to this place, and he just begins laying it out there. After some times of powerful worship, right, he brings them to this place. He calls them to a place of commitment, and he's giving his farewell speech. And so in this farewell speech, right, he begins talking and reminding them of all of the faithfulness of God, of all of the things that God has done. He talks to them about coming out of Egypt. He talks to them about the redemptive process of how God has been with them and has never left them. He talks about Joshua himself. He talks about the place. Do you remember? Do you remember? And he takes them to this. He's like, you remember when we just we came to the Jordan River and all we had to do was just put our big toe and the water, and the, and the river parted, and it was held upstream, and we crossed over. Do you remember the miracles of the Lord and how God was redeeming us? Do you remember how God defeated all of your enemies? Remember those warriors, those enemies that you had, they all came up against you? Do you remember? And so he's laying out this speech. He's calling them to a place of remembrance, and now he calls them to this place of commitment, and I want to show this to you, okay? This is in Joshua chapter 24. So Joshua comes right before the book of Judges, right before Judges starts. And this is where the people of God were in their hearts in this moment. All right, so Joshua chapter 24, this is verse 14. It'll be on screen here for you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so he's, he's kind of doing what we talked about. He's like, listen, put away the gods. Like you need to sever those relationships. You need to get that junk out of your life. Don't have any part of those things that you know you shouldn't be a part of. And he calls them to this place, right? And he begins speaking to them in that way. And so then comes this next verse right here in, in 15. And he's kind of chastising them a little bit because the people, they've been kind of fickle. They've been kind of flip-flopping back and forth. And this is what he says to them. And it's going to get to this place that you're going to know uh, this scripture here. And even, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Can we say this? Choose this day whom you will serve. Listen, the people have been divided back and forth, and you know how this goes. He says, you got to make a choice, whether it's the God of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now dwelling. But as for me, right? And this is where that plaque is, like every Christian store across the planet, right? They have, you, you probably have this scripture in your house somewhere, right? Those of you who are, are believers. And so, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua is making this great declaration, and he's bringing them to this moment. He's wrapping up his sermon. He's calling them to this point right here. What are you going to do? What are you going to choose? And he's got them in this tension in this moment right here. And so here's where it happens. Here's what they say. Here's how they respond to him in that moment. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Joshua, listen, 
you don't have to worry about us. Far be it from us. Like, we're not going back there. We're not going there. We're not going to do that. You don't have to worry about us. Verse 17. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Joshua, you don't have to worry about us. We, we know where that road goes. We know where that path ends. We know what happens. We remember serving the other king. We remember Pharaoh. We remember the whips across our back. We remember building another man's kingdom. You don't have to worry about us, Joshua, for it is the Lord our God who brought us up. We remember. And so you say to us, Joshua, choose this day. The choice is made. We've made our choice. It's a no-brainer. The deal is sealed, right? And so Israel renews their covenant with God in this moment, right here in this picture. And this is the end of chapter 24 of Joshua, and we're about to go into Judges, right? And so now Joshua is 110 years old. Now we're in the book of Judges, and Joshua dies, okay? And so the people are grieving. They've had a funeral service, and, and they had barely changed clothes from the funeral, they had barely gotten out of their suits. They had barely changed clothes. I mean, I'm talking the flowers on the tomb was still alive, hadn't even died yet. And the people forgot their commitment. They had already began to abandon it and run from it. Let me show you this. And the people of Israel, this is Judges chapter 2. This is where the people are now. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baals. They did exactly what Joshua warned them against. They did exactly what they said that they were never going to do again. Here's verse 12 right here in chapter 2. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after, they pursued, they chased, they longed for other gods from among the gods, and I want you to see this, of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down and they served them. And so there's this major problem that happens for the nation of Israel all through the book of Judges. There's this major problem, and it has to do with something that's inside of their heart. It has to do with them desiring Canaanite culture. But what was it about this culture? What was it about the Canaanites? What was it about this group of people that proved to be so irresistible? They knew what they were supposed to do, but something within them longed for what the Canaanites have. And so to this recent group of slaves, again, they had been 400 years or so in Egypt as slaves. And then when they left there, they're out in the desert. You remember this, and they're wandering around in the desert. And then something happens, right? Joshua, when they're coming up to the promised land, what does he do? He gathers his closest guys, and, he, and, and they call them spies, right? And this is Numbers 13. And he takes those spies, and he sends them into the land of Canaan. And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go look with their eyes, and then they're supposed to report back everything that they see. And when they look into Canaan, they're inspired. They're full of awe of everything that's in that land, Right? And so the spies come back and they're talking with Joshua and they're explaining everything that they saw. And you said, we saw these vast cities. I mean, these urban metropolitan areas like we've never seen before. They spread throughout the land and there were a lot of them and they were all over the place. We saw these strength of military, these fortified cities, right? And we saw wealth and we saw riches. And oh, by the way, it's just like God said it would be. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and with honey. 
And he says to them, listen, there's a food so fine in this land that like even Gordon Ramsay couldn't find anything negative to say about it, right? <laughs> and so they're looking inside of this land and, and they see what's going on and they're inspired by it. And it wasn't just this, there, there, was, there was elements of the culture. See, the Canaanites at this point were far superior to the, to the people of God, to the, to the Israelites. They, they, they had more art and better art and they had better literature and better architecture. They had better trade systems and political organizations. And, and then on top of that, right, okay, on top of that, they had a, uh, I'll use the PG... 13 version of this. They had a religious system where they would have temple women of the night. Okay? And, and so they had a system in which this incorporated that into their religious acts of how they worshiped. And it was enticing. I mean, listen, it was hard for them to not be tempted by Canaanite. And so maybe you remember, maybe you know why God had positioned it. Maybe he knew about this desire that would be inside of their heart and what he, he told them to do. If you remember back in Deuteronomy, and I'll just reference this. You can take a picture. You can look at it. You can go back and find it for yourself. But in Deuteronomy 7, this is Moses, God talking through Moses. And he says these ideas. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to do these few things. You're about to go into this land I'm going to give you. And you need to destroy. Say Destroy. You need to destroy. You need to leave no remnant. You need to make sure there is none of it left behind. You need to avoid intermarriage with the Canaanites. And you need to shun the worship of the Canaanite gods. And so these people knew what they were supposed to do. But the reality is, is, is they only did part of it. They, they kind of picked and choose what they were going to do in that moment. And so what happens is that because of the culture, because they were looking in, because they coveted the things that the Canaanites had, they were actually overtaken by temptation. And so they're led into this place where they, they look and they say, we want what they have. I, I, I've seen it with my eyes. And that looks like a lot of fun. Why, why can't we have the fun that they're having? And they want to adopt these things and they want to bring them into their culture. Uh, and and so soon what happens is the Israelites, right? God's chosen people, the people that were supposed to be set apart, the people that were supposed to be the models, the picture of all of the world around them, of what God's relationship with the world was going to be like. That was the Israelites. And they began looking just like the culture around them. They were overtaken by their temptation. So let's read again. Let's go back to verse 12 of chapter 2, and let's keep building on this, okay? He says, And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after, they pursued other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, from the Canaanites, and they bowed down to them. And here's what happened. Here's how the Lord felt about it. And they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals and Ashtoreth. So, you know, Baal is like a you know, little god, fictitious god. They believed in a whole bunch of gods. And Ashtoreth is simply the, like the female counterpart of, of Baal inside of this. And it, and it wasn't just that God had said, you would have no other gods before me. You remember the Ten Commandments? This is like idol worship. This is false gods. You, you can't do that, Israel. It wasn't just that, because the corruption, corruption ran so much deeper. And so in this, in the worship of them, when times would get tough, like maybe it's famine, maybe it's drought, maybe they don't have the supplies they need, maybe they just want the favor of their gods. You know what they would do? They would sacrifice people. And when things would get really bad, they would sacrifice minors. I'll use that word. 
They'll sacrifice minors. And if it was really the worst of the worst of times, and this is recorded in their history, they would have all of the, the, the richest leaders in the land, and they would require their firstborn to be sacrificed in that moment. And so God says, you can't have anything to do with this kind of people. But they began blending their faith, blurring what they believed, looking more and more like the culture around them. And so here they go. This is verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over. And this is strong language. This is God here. He gave them over to plunderers, to thieves, to robbers who plundered them. And, and he sold them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could, what? No longer withstand. He sold them off so that they can no longer withstand. And look at how it ends right here, okay? So whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them as, they had, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress, right? And so he says, you know what? Listen, if you want it so bad, if you want what Canaan has so bad, then guess what? I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have it. Choose this day. You want that? It's your choice. You have a choice. And the people were making their choice. And so what God simply does is says, okay, I respect you enough to let you choose. I'll take my hands off. And when the Lord takes his hands off, what happens every single time is that the people become conquered. They become conquered. Every single time, this is what happens. They could no longer withstand their enemies. And so you want that? You want that? This is how it's going to go? You can be conquered by the culture that you've copied. They become conquered by the culture that they've conquered. And look at this right here. And they become conquered by what they were supposed to conquer. What they were supposed to put under their foot and just rub on out. Now that thing has come on up. And they're conquered by what they were supposed to conquer. And he says, you know what? You've freely chosen this. Chosen this. You have the ability to choose. You want liberty? It's your liberty. It's your right. It's your freedom. And because you've chosen to do that, you're going to be conquered. And you're going to experience where it was your freedom to decide. Now you're going to see what happens when you operate in your own freedoms outside from the Lord. And they end up in this place of absolute loss of Freedom, And this is what's happening to God's people. This is God's people. And so the story just continues to unfold here. And what happens is Israel begins to spiral out of control. And it's just this downward path. And they just repeat the process over and over and over Again, until they're just falling and stumbling. And how did we get here? And I can't believe I'm here. And now I'm stuck. I feel in the bottom of this pit. And now I feel enslaved to this thing. I'm conquered. I have no freedoms. I have no liberties. And so this pattern takes place in their lives. Why? Why? Because they partially obeyed, right? 
They partially obeyed. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they decided that they were going to do what they wanted to do no matter what. And the second thing is they began to cohabitate with the culture around them. They began to live with the culture. They began to live amongst it. They, they knew they should be separate from it, that they were called to be holy, called to be set apart, but they're going to live within the culture. They're going to live around it. And so they went to bed with it. They cohabitated with it. They literally went to bed with it as God had instructed them not to do. And so what happens is they become corrupted by this culture and ultimately they end up becoming conquered by this culture and this downward spiral leads them into this place, that this, this, this pit. And so I want to tell you what happens for Israel and I, and I, want, to start to, I want to start to talk about how this reflects our culture and I want to talk about how this applies to us. And, and, we're, and we're building on an idea that we started last week. We're building on a concept here, okay? And so inside of this, here's what was happening in Israel. That Israel was simply trading kings. That Israel had traded one king for another. That they had freely walked away, but yet now they had sacrificed their freedom at the sake of the liberties that they were choosing. And this is the lesson for all of us. In fact, let's let's revisit an idea. Let me... Let's talk about the allure of the American dream, okay? And this is what we talked about last week. You'll remember this if you were here. This is where we set this up. And let, let me preface this. I love my nation. I love my country. I love our people. I love the freedoms and the liberties and all that God is doing here. We are a blessed nation, right? But there is an allure of the American dream that it, it's the unstated. It's the unspoken. It's what's underneath it that says this, that I want the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And then there's kind of like this, like right here, there would be like this little asterisk, there would be like this little footnote, and you remember this, as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. I want to do what I want to do, with whom I want to do it, and when I want to do it, and how I want to do it, so long as, because we're civilized, so long as it just doesn't hurt anybody. You do you, I'll do me. You worry about you, I'll worry about me, right? And so that's kind of where this people had been. And this is, this, the, the problem with this mindset is it, it truly is an allure, right? And it's also an illusion. Because in the beginning, it's fun. I get to do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. I can behave how I want to. Nobody is lording over me. I'm my own boss. You don't need to tell me what to do, right? And so it's fun for a season, and we get away with it for a little while, but then we end up in this place where we simply trade one king for another. You trade one king for another. You do what Israel had done. And I'm going to show you this, okay? And this next part this is what we're going to cover here. Like, this might be a little bit offensive to you, and I don't mean to offend you for the sake of offense state, but where you sit in this. Listen, the, the very first, let's just let's establish an idea here, okay? The very first lines of the Bible are some of the most offensive things that you and I believe, and it simply says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, that God created, which means that you and I are what? We're created. We're a part of creation, which means... I didn't make this stuff up. You didn't make this up. You don't get to set the rules. You're not God. 
You're not the supreme authority. You're not the final say-so. You're not the judge. And there is something within us, and let's just be honest, even for believers, there's something within us that, that wants this idea of autonomy, and we've convinced ourselves, especially with the allure of the American dream, that I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want, with whom I want. Don't tell me what to do. And yet we position ourselves where we would be like God. And is that not the very thing that led to our original fall? And so here's the thing, and this, that's not even the most offensive part, right? Here, here's the offensive part, is that because you're created, because I'm created, you are actually created to be ruled over. Now, don't mistake me. I'm, I'm not saying controlled. You were created to, to have a ruler over you, that there is an authority over you, that there is indeed a king. And so here's what happens. When you say no to the creator thing or the creator king, and you say yes to the created thing, all you're simply doing is you're trading one king for another king. Let me, let me point you at scripture, okay? That's what we do. Let me point you at scripture. Here's what it says in Romans 16. So we're going to jump all the way to Paul in the New Testament. Let me just pull this out very quickly just to remind you here, okay? It says, do you not know that you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Listen, you're either a slave to the sin that has led you and conquered you and has entrapped you. Or you're actually a slave to the righteousness of God, the things of God, where he is an authority, he is a king, he is over you, right? And, and because we know the nature and the character of God, it helps us to be a little more comfortable with that idea. But this is an offensive thing, especially in our day and age, especially in our culture, especially if you start saying, hey, listen, God is the authority. This is offensive stuff. And so when we say no to the creator king, what we're doing is simply trading out for another king. And so when I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and that's my mindset, then all I'm doing in that moment is I'm positioning myself that eventually, eventually, I become ruled by another king. Eventually, I become ruled by a little king. Let me give you some examples of this, just, just so you can help understand here. You become ruled by, by little kings, by, by little things that, that kind of start to control you. Where what began as an idea and now, now is in this position of, uh, I'm kind of enslaved to this, I'm kind of conquered by this. And, and so maybe, and this is by far, this is not exhaustive, this is just an illustration, okay? And so you know what yours are, you know what your little kings are, you've experienced this, you've encountered enough life that you know that when we stop saying yes to God and we say no to God and we turn to something else, one of these things begins to control our lives. And so maybe it's appetite, like I'm going to eat what I want, when I want, with how I want. Maybe it's some sort of insecurity, like I, you know, I, I want to be liked by people. I want other people uh, to appreciate me, to value me. I, I'm concerned by that. And now I'm actually serving the opinions of other people, aren't I? Maybe, it, maybe it's one of fear. Maybe it's one of lust. We're actually going to talk about this in this series. And, and, and so maybe it was like, it's not going to hurt anybody. I'm going to do what I want when I want and how I want. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just a little mouse click, right? It's, just, it's not like I'm actually going to reach out and touch anybody. It's, it's just this idea in my head. It's just, it's just I'm just going to think about it. And, and so this right here, this original idea, it ends up enslaving so many people. And I can't tell you how many times I'm talking with men and women that are now serving this little king. Or maybe it's greed, or maybe it's materialism, like I gotta have what the Joneses have, I gotta keep up with it, and, and so this begins out of control, and 
Man, I, I got to keep my Amazon uh, Prime in check with this one right here because it's just so convenient. Maybe it's the status symbol, right? Maybe it's like I want to be like everybody else. I, I, I want to be seen as powerful. Maybe I want to be seen as influential. And so now you're doing everything in your life to serve that idea. Maybe it's family history. And this is a weird one to show up here and here. But I, I, let, me, let, me, let me explain it here for you a second, okay? Let's talk about family history, Okay. So here's what I know about you, right? Whether I know your specific story or not, statistics of a room like this, okay? There are some of you, probably more than a handful of you, that your number one goal in life, let me tell you what your number one goal in life, you probably didn't write it down, right? This one doesn't show up when you, when you write it down, the five things I want to do over the next five years, right? Your number one goal, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be anything like the history that was there before me. And so I, that, that is my biggest goal. I don't want to be like that. I don't want anything to look like that. I don't want to repeat what happened, the mistakes that were happening, and how that was going to be. So let me... Many of you believe like this. Many of you have set out like this. Many of you said, I'm going to do it different. We're going to do it different. We're going to do it different. Let me just ask you a question about this, okay? So when we're talking about family history, why do you feel as this way? Why is this your biggest goal? What went wrong in that? And the chances are, the chances are, if we sat down in counseling and I probed long enough and I asked you enough questions, do you want me to tell you what the chances are of what happened? Is that somewhere, one of them that you're pointing the finger at now, right? And we get our psychobabble. We blame our parents for everything. When, when that happens, let me, let me tell you why, okay? Somewhere along the way, they decided, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And it's not going to hurt anyone. And what happened? You got hurt. You got hurt, didn't you? And so now somewhere inside of you is this idea that I'm going to break the pattern. I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to break what happened. All of my lineage beforehand, they all got divorced because somebody did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted. Well, I'm going to break this poverty mindset. I'm going to break this. I'm going to break this. I'm not going to live like my parents lived. I'm going to do it completely different. And then somewhere, somewhere along the way, whether conscious or unconscious, somewhere along the way, you make the decision. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, and how I want. And guess what you've done? Oh, pattern will repeat itself. It will. Look at me. I guarantee you. Mark my words, when you say no to God and the instruction that he has for your life, not because he wants to lord over you, but because he knows you, because he knows the principles that govern this world, because he knows what looks like inside of Canaan and the conquering and the enslavement that's going to come, because he knows these things, when you say no to God and you say yes to the little kings, you are setting yourself up to repeat the pattern every single time. Every time. Let me, let me show you. you don't, don't take my word for it. Let me show you what happened. Here's in Judges, right? This is scripture about the next generation. Let me show you, right? So in this moment, now you're responsible. You're responsible for the next generation. Listen, moms and dads, I'm going to lean into you. You are responsible for the next generation and the pattern that is coming up after it. You don't like what's happening in the culture? Let me show you why. Here we go. Judges 2. Verse 19, it says, but then, uh, but it came about when the judge died that they would, go, they would turn their back. So when uh, the absence of godly leadership, they would turn their back and they would do what? They would act more corruptly than their 
fathers and following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. And they did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. Listen, this is the next generation, okay, more corruptly than their fathers, right? So the generation ahead of me, when they did it their own way, and then I decided I'm going to do it my own way, then the lineage begins to take root even deeper than it had before. And so it compounds over time. You don't need the Bible and you don't need me. You look at our current culture and you look at the progression of where we are as a culture and a society and you look at what's happening and you look how one generation of parents and our broken households and what we're modeling in the home and you look at the separation from the truths of God that I'm going to do what I want, when I want and how I want. Don't tell me what to do. And you look at what's happening in our culture and it is exactly this, that we are becoming more corrupt than our fathers were before us. It is a generation degradation. We are sliding down. And that is what happens when you and I decide to say yes to all of the other little kings, that lust, that thing, that thing inside of you that's coming up. And you choose in that moment. I'm not going to choose God. I'm going to choose this in that moment. And that is what happens. And this begins your downward spiral. So Israel had a downward spiral. Let me, let me tell you exactly how it's happening, not just on a global level, not just in a cultural level. Let me tell you how it happens even in the church even for God's people, even my, how it ha- might happen in your own life. Here's what happens, okay? So like Canaan, right, the people were in awe. They looked at the culture around them, and they saw something that they wanted, something that they liked, something that they want to be a part of. Man, I don't want to be just an outsider. I want my friends to like me. I want to fit in over there. I want to do what they're doing. Look at how much fun they're having, right? And we, we see the Instagram, the Facebook feeds, and it looks so great on the surface. And so we're attracted to it. We're drawn into it. And yet something happens here in this moment where, where it sets out and we're tempted by this idea, right? It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anybody. And then what happens? It's a bait and switch, right? It's a marketing gimmick, right? It's clickbait. And so, and so you, you, you follow it along and here you are. And now somewhere becomes this idea of partial obedience, okay? So you're a believer. I'm talking to you as a believer. I'm talking to, like, I go to church. I believe in God. I show up on Sundays, right? That's who we're talking about. I'm a Christian. God had told them, destroy the Canaanites. Get rid of every single thing about it. God has told you about some things in your heart and the inside of your life. Get rid of that thing. You're tolerating that thing, right? And it's a partial obedience. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. And so these little compromises begin to enter into the scene. Follow along with me and put them here on the screen for me. These little compromises come and they begin entering into the scene, right? And so there's a partial obeying God. And that's the first step in it. The second step is cohabitating with your sin. So I told you this idea, the Israelites, they jumped into bed and they began to live with their culture around them. And you and I, what do we end up doing? We end up living with our sin we get all cozy with it. I mean, we set it up in the back bedroom, don't we? Like, it's now come, and it's set up shop inside of the house. Like, it's my liberty. It's my freedom. It's my right. And so where we start out in a place of liberty that it's my decision to choose, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cohabitate with this thing. And then what happens, right? It progresses. This downward spiral gets even deeper. And then we become corrupted by that sin. And here's, here's the scary place, church. And you know this, you've walked through this before, I've walked through this before. There comes this place because I've only partially obeyed, because I lived with it long enough, and now somewhere I'm not even convicted by it anymore. 
Somewhere inside of me is I'm desensitized and now I'm corrupted on the inside. And now where I had conviction about something where God would put his finger on it and the Holy Spirit would speak to me because I've said no for so long, so long I've actually become corrupted by my sin and it's now a part of me. This is just me. Well, you don't like that? This is just me. Take it or leave it. This is just part of it. This is part of who I am. We become corrupted by the sin. And just like Israel, here's what happens. We become corrupted by our sin, and then we ultimately end up being conquered by our sin. It starts out with this idea that this is my liberty, and then it progresses down this line to the point where we become enslaved by it, where it becomes your new king, where it is now your master. And you are trapped. Now it has its hooks in you. And we find ourselves in this downward spiral. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm just being honest with you. Even as a believer, I've had places in my life, things in my life, where, where there was this pattern, there was a cycle, where I was, I was like the Israelites, where it was like, you know what, I disobeyed. I knew what I should have done. I disobeyed, and it led to disaster. And that because God was faithful, he always delivered me. But what happened was I, I, because of my own decision-making, because I still wanted to do what I wanted to do, because it was still inside of me, because I had been corrupted by it, somewhere it still sat inside of me, and what I ended up doing was repeating a pattern, and it was like the merry-go-round. And I've had conversations with some of you, like, I do well for a little while, I get this thing under control, and then it just pokes its head back up. Maybe it's three months later, maybe it's three years later, but somewhere that thing that enslaved me and trapped me before, it had its hook so deep, now it has come back, and the spiral continues to go. I want to break this cycle, but I can't. I can't break it. And this lies the tension inside of the church. Lies the tension inside of us. Can I ask you a question? You don't get to say no. I get to ask the question. So, Let me ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. In fact, I want to, I want to put it on screen. So here, here's the question, okay? Why is it easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that you substitute for God? Why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to all of the things that entice us around us? Why is it easier to say, God, I'm just not going to do that anymore? Why is it easier to say, no, God, I'm not going to forgive them despite what you say. I'm, that's not what I'm going to do. Why is it easier to say, you know, I know she's not good for me. I know he's not good for me, but this is what I want. God, I've just been lonely. I just, I just need a... Why is it easier to do that? Why is it easier to say, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do? Why, why is it easier to say no to God than it is for the substitute things? Why, why is it so much easier to say, God, I'm just tired of struggling with this, and, and, and I'm at the position where I'm just going to give into it? Why is it easier to say, God, I, I deserve this? I deserve this. Like, like everybody has their thing. Like everybody has their little guilty pleasure, if you will. God, God, I deserve this. I, I know what my, I know what my conscience says. I, I know what my upbringing. I know what my parents taught me. I, I know even the conviction that the Holy Spirit stirs within me. But God, right now, I'm just in this spot. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it when I want to do it, and I want to do it how I want to do it. And right now, God, maybe we'll come back and circle back to this later. But right now, I'm going to do me. All right. Why? Why is it easier to do that? And 
this, this is a, a whole sermon in itself. And so let me just give you this little sliver of this. The answer, the reason why it's easier to do this, why it's easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the substitute kings is because these little kings, these little substitute kings, they are merciless. They are ruthless. These little kings, they do not love you. God adores you. These little kings, they want to control you while God, he simply gives you a choice. These little kings, they will enslave you and yet it's God who sets us free. And somewhere along the way, because he's merciful, whether you want to admit this to me today or not, somewhere along the way, you think it's easier to say no to an invisible God than it is to this thing that just keeps pressing into you and demanding your attention and calling you from culture. And we substitute God as our king and we accept these little things, these little kings, these little pieces of lust, these little moments of gratification. We accept them as the kings and we set out with this idea that it's my liberty and my choice and my freedom. And every single time we find ourselves in a position where we are being conquered by what we were supposed to conquer. And so in this story, the end of round one. So Israel in, in all of these, last week was like round six. This is round one. We're now at the end of the first three or the middle of the first three chapters of the book of Judges. At the end of this, right? At the end of their mistakes, at the end of this place, I want to show you what happens here. And this is Judges 3, 7 through 8. And it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord and their God and they served the Baals and Asherah. And therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand of, I got to say this slow, this dude's name is like crazy, Kishan Arishathim, Tham, Tham, how far off am I? You, she was helping me earlier with this. All right, so we're going to do it for, for my sake here. So in this other king, in this foreign king, right? Okay, so Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kushan Rishathim eight years. And they said, you want another king? You want what the Canaanites have? I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be your choice. It's going to be your freedom. Like, at least you could pronounce my name, right? And so for eight long years, they suffered they were enslaved they went back where they said they would never go back they become entrapped and they become enslaved and they're serving this other king who cares nothing about them for eight long years and then at the end of this eight years and this is the beautiful thing about the book of judges at the end of this eight years they did what some of you have done what, what I have done before they did what some of you might need to do today. As they come to this position, here's what they do. Verse 9. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, when they said, God, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea that when I said no to you, what I was doing was just choosing another king 
I thought I could live this life my own way and do what I wanted. And now I'm in this spot where I'm stuck. We're stuck. We're enslaved. And we've been stuck for all of these years. And God, I'm crying out. I need something. I need something. And I want you to see how the Lord responds. Okay, because he had kind of had enough right here. I want you to see something, right? And this is unexpected. He says, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, God said, you're a crybaby. You've broken your promises too many times. Too bad. So sad. Fix it yourself. You're on your own. You know I'm kidding. And this is the beautiful, I don't understand it. If it were me, listen, if you kept breaking your promises with me, fix it yourself, bro. This, this is what you would do too. But think about the character and the nature of God that is revealed to us. Think about the mercy of God that is revealed to us. Let me show you what it really says. Here you go. This is verse 9. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, what did he do? He raised up a deliverer. He brought along one of these judges to come and bring redemption for the people of Israel who saved them. Why? Because they're still God's people. They're still the apple of his eyes. He still believes in them. He still has hope in them. He has not given up on them. He has not abandoned them. He was simply waiting he simply waited, and then he brings the first deliverer of the book of Judges, Othenio. And God says to them, listen, I gave you choice. I gave you free will. I can't force you to love me. I want to be your God, not to control you, but because I know you, because I love you, and because I want to protect you. He's the shepherd because I'm looking out for you, because there is no freedom outside of the authority that is found up underneath his authority. And so the maximum place of our freedom that we want and we long for and we fight for, the whole allure of the American dream, that freedom that we so crave, it is really only found up underneath his authority, but he will not control us. And so as we conclude today, don't be deceived. When you choose to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, all you're simply doing is trading one king for another king. And whether you like it or not, you were created to be ruled over. And then when you say no to God, you're simply at the mercy of the foreign kings and will be conquered by the culture around you. Can I just, as, as a pastor, if you'll allow me to be that in your life, as, as a pastor in your life, one of, one of the greatest joys of my heart, one of the greatest joys of this church and our leadership team is when any single person turns from the little king and they turn back to the king. That's the greatest joy we'll experience. But can I just be real with you? And this, this breaks my heart. Is that my friends, my church, and my people, sometimes I see them and, and, and even though they might return to their king, there's still this, you don't get the years back. You don't get the opportunities to be with your children again. You don't get to go back and fix those things. That ship sailed. Now there's grace to start where you are and to move forward. And maybe there's reconciliation of some sorts. But the reality is, like, when 
we're in that position. We may have lost something, but the invitation is always the same. It's always the same, that when we cry out, when we say, God, you were right, I was wrong. Here I am again. Every single time, what he does is he sends a deliverer, and he sent the ultimate king of the kings as a deliverer for both you and I. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this timely word. God, it doesn't even take a, a lot of insight or perspective to, to, to just kind of experience what's happening in the culture around us. And, and we feel the magnitude of that. We feel the shift beneath our feet. And God, there's an allure to that. And sometimes it, it's kind of drawn us, whether we want to admit it or not, it's, it's drawn us. And so what we've done is we've invited it into our homes with us. And you called us to be set apart. You called us to be different. And God, we've just become guilty of that idea that we just live with it. We accept it. And now we might not even be convicted by that anymore. Holy Spirit, would you do something in this moment? Would you put your hand on things inside of our lives that are not of you? Would you bring us to a place where we would say, God, only you. God, we submit it all to you. That we, we give you permission as our king, not because you want to lord something over us, but because you want to protect us and you invite us to be truly free. And so God, we accept your liberty and we accept your freedom. We thank you for that. God, if there's one here today who feels like they've gone too far, who's done too much, who has known you, but yet has denied you in so many ways. And now it does feel like the hook is sitting in there. And they feel consumed by it. And they feel conquered by it. Would you remind them of just how powerful you are today? Would you remind them that you are capable of bringing their freedom when they cry out to you? And that you would send the Redeemer. You would send the Deliverer. God, would you remind them? Maybe it's someone who's never had relationship with you. Maybe they've heard about you. Maybe they've known about you through their parents' faith. But God, if that person is in this room today, would you help them to understand that it is simply a prayer, a calling out to say, God, I need you. I've tried my own way and that led me into a whole bunch of junk. And now I don't want to do that anymore. I need you. And I believe that Jesus is the way for me. If you're in here today and, and, and that's you, then that's simply the way that you would pray. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to do different, to be different. And surround me with a community of believers that will help me live this life. I thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.